You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Wolf Hollow in Ipswich, Massachusetts was founded in 1988 by Paul and Joni Sofran for the mission of preserving the wolf in the wild through education and exposure. Paul died a few years ago, but Joni and Sun Z have continued this critical work. Today on Pet Life Radio's On the Road with Mac and Molly, we'll hear from Joni about life at Wolf Hollow where, on this multi-acre site abutting marshland, visitors can meet the resident wolves at close hand and observe how a wolf pack functions. Wolves are extraordinarily social creatures, and as we'll learn in this program, their pack dynamics are fascinating. In many ways, wolf pack organization parallels that of a human family. Wolves are devoted to their young and five new puppies, three males and two females, have recently been added to the Wolf Hollow mix. We'll hear how the pups are settling in, how wolves are faring in the wild, and how we can help support these magnificent creatures. All that and more in this episode of On the Road with Mac and Molly, with me, your host, Donna Haleson. First, these messages from our sponsors. So please, sit, stay. We'll be right back after this pause. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Buster. You're telling me my dog food products can't go on your shelves? That's right. Didn't pass one of my Petco certified nutrition checklists. Sorry, Wayne. Who made these checklists? Geniuses. Very smart guys. Well, it's good enough for most grocery stores. Do you see cheese puffs on my shelves? Mayonnaise? Soda pop? No. That's because I ain't running no grocery store, Wayne. Your pets will get better nutrition. I guarantee it. Petco. Where healthy pets go. Enter the code LUCKY10. L-U-C-K-Y, the number 10, and get 10% off any order. No minimum at Petco.com. How would you like your business to reach out and invite in our audience? We have a brand new trademark concept called InfoSeeds. InfoSeeds are short 20-second seeds of information about your place of business, practice, or service. Is the best, most cost-effective way to invite us in. We only have a limited number of slots left. For more information, visit the website. PetLifeRadio.com Click on Sponsorship Information. There you can listen to a sample of InfoSeed. Remember, only a limited number of opportunities are available. Hi everybody, I'm Megan Blake here with my sidekick, Super Smiley. The giant mutt and spokes dog for throwaways. You're listening to Pet Life Radio and I'd like to tell you about our brand new show, A Super Smiley Adventure. Our show explores adventures with animals. They can be traveling, out in the world trips, or inner journeys where our animals lead us to inspiration and self-discovery. Or just plain, fun adventures. Join us here on Pet Life Radio on A Super Smiley Adventure. Good boy. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Pet Life Radio's On the Road with Mac and Molly. 
This is your host, Donna Haleson, and today we have the pleasure of chatting with Joni Sofran of Wolf Hollow in Ipswich, Massachusetts. Well, Joni, welcome. Well, thank you, Donna. This is very exciting. <laughs> well, I'm so glad to uh, have this opportunity to, to chat with you and, and to learn some more about, uh, about Wolf Hollow. And I thought perhaps we might begin just with some basics. What is Wolf Hollow and what is the North American Wolf Foundation? Well, North American Wolf Foundation is technically our legal name, but we do business as Wolf Hollow, easier to remember, and that's what people know us by. It is a um, 501c3 nonprofit educational facility, fully licensed by the state and federal government to educate um, the general public on the wolf in the wild and why we need to preserve the species out there. Okay, and when was it? When was it created, and and well, uh, by whom, and for what purpose? Well, my Again, husband Paul Sofran, um started the process in 1988. It was a two and a half year process getting licensed because of the long licensing procedures that had to be dealt with, and also the facility had to be built and inspected and approved by the USDA before any of the wolves could be brought here. So that did take two and a half years. So we actually opened to the public in September of 1990. And we do um, public programs on Saturdays and Sundays, and we do groups of 20 or more by reservation weekdays. We all had a deep respect for nature, particularly a passion for the wolves and the Native American culture. And he was a very talented artist. And the story goes that in first grade, his teacher sent a note home to his parents that if he didn't stop drawing wolves and Indians and pay attention, he wasn't going to second grade. So I guess the passion went way back to when he was a very young child. Well, how are wolves doing in the wild today? They're doing a little better than they were, but um, not as, as good as they should be. There have been some really devastating things that have happened very recently. Yellowstone National Park in 1993 and 1994 had a very successful reintroduction. What they did um, was went to Canada, British Columbia area, tranquilized, trapped some wolves, brought them into Yellowstone. The reason that the Yellowstone reintroduction occurred was because of the poor health of the park. When you take the top of the predator out of the mix, then everything else goes haywire. So it was important to get the wolf back. And it hadn't been in Yellowstone for about 80 years. It is suggested that when the settlers came from Europe, there were approximately 5 million wolves roaming the lower 48 states. And in 1973, when they were listed as an endangered species in the lower 48 states, there were approximately 200 wolves. So over those hundreds of years, we, we literally... Uh, almost entirely wiped out wiped out the species because of the um, protection they've enjoyed and or did enjoy since 1973, and because of the very successful reintroduction, we now have wolves in some of the western states where there hadn't been any for a very long time. Unfortunately, they're not that welcome in many of the western states, and Congress has very recently approved legislation so that there are five states in the West now where the wolf has been delisted and they are being hunted as we speak simply because they're there. So that's the devastating thing that's happened very recently. 
Can you offer a description of the wolf, the individual wolf as a creature, in terms of its body, maybe its inner nature, its needs, some of its other distinctives, but the individual wolf, what is a wolf? Well, it's, it's a wild canid, goes back millions and millions of years. It's the ancestor to all of our dogs. Every single domestic dog is a descendant of the wolf. A wolf is actually a very lean, long-legged animal, built for hunting, built for running. Very powerful jaws because, as you can imagine, some of the large prey they, they need to take down, they need that power. Um, so they're much more powerful than any breed of dog. They live a very, very strict social life in a family situation. Each, each individual family member has a role to play you know, within that family. They range from 50 pounds to over 150, depending on where they are. All wolves in North America, with the exception of the red wolf, are gray wolves. That's the species name, North American gray wolf. But there are many subspecies, such as Mexican, Arctic, Rocky Mountain, Eastern Timber. And the Mexicans are the smallest of the um, the gray wolves, not weighing much more than 50 pounds because in the southwestern Mexico, there was no large prey for them to hunt. But when you get up into the northern Canada area or Alaska, now you're looking at wolves that are hunting moose, elk, caribou, musk oxen. So the physical differences between subspecies vary depending on uh, where they originate from and what they're hunting. Um, very, very intelligent creatures. Um, definite thought processes that you can actually see what they're thinking by body posture, tail position, eye contact. If the hackles are up, you know you've done something you shouldn't be doing. But very readable, very readable uh, body postures and communications. You use the word social. Can you describe wolves as the social creatures they are? What is a pack? What are some of the dynamics that you see within the pack? It's an immediate family. And the alpha pair, the alpha male and alpha female, are the only unrelated by blood members of that family, and they are the breeders. Then you have the next side, right, highest rank, which is the beta, which is a very important role, kind of backs up the alpha, kind of helps making the decision-making processes that need to be made. And then the lowest rank is the omega. Within the family, there are typically more than three wolves, but only three have that specific wool name. They hunt as a pack. Obviously, it's a lot easier to take down a large prey animal when you have the whole family involved, and it feeds the family for longer if they're going after larger prey. The rules, the laws of the pack are very, very strict. Only the alphas mate. Any wolf who wants to become a leader or a breeder must leave the pack. They re, uh, reach sexual maturity at 22 months, so usually by two years old, if a wolf is is very self-confident, willing to accept responsibility, doesn't want to be told what to do and just do family chores for the rest of its life, then that's going to be the disperser who's going to go off and find a mate from another pack and start their own family. And that's incredibly important because that's what prevents inbreeding within the pack, which, which typically does not happen. So many wolves do leave the pack because the breeding pair, it, it's such a strict law within the pack that only the alphas mate. How do they establish that rank order? When do the you rank begin order to see is, it, it, is based mostly on personality more than anything else. Just as in people, you have very shy people, you can have very shy wolves. 
uh, very self-confident people, very self-confident wolves. The shyer wolves, their personality, the shyer ones tend to stay with the family, um, don't mind being the low ranks, and other workers, the babysitters, the hunters, out looking for prey, scent marking boundary lines. So it's entirely personality that determines what the rank order is. So if you have a very determined wolf that, you know, was a member of the family, they have to leave to become their own boss. When you see, begin to see that wrangling for position within the cats. Well, it's really funny because we have five, eight-week-old puppies, and they started this at like two and a half, three weeks old when they barely had their legs under them. You know, they were still a little wobbly even walking, but just the little physical interactions, you might see it as a play thing. But while they're having these physical interactions amongst themselves, they're seeing who's going to back down first, who's not going to back down. Now at eight weeks old, they're showing teeth, they're raising hackles, raising tails amongst the five of them. So they're all vying to to work out what the rank order is going to be amongst the five puppies that we have. So that's, that's very obvious at a very young age. It's not obvious who is eventually going to be the more dominant, but the behaviors that lead to those decisions are very, very obvious at a very young age, weeks. Now, I wasn't certain, um, I don't know if you've, if you've said this, or you may have kind of been around this topic, but does one wolf attach to one other wolf, or does the dominant male mate with many females? How does that work? No, the dominant male mates with, uh, the alpha male mates with the alpha female, and the others it's just not allowed. I guess it's easiest to describe it as a human family. If you can picture a human family, you have mom and dad who are not related, and then you have your children. When your children no longer want to be told what to do because maybe they're older or have finished their education, ready to move on, they don't want to live by mom and dad's rules, they leave. So another another pair, another male and another female really cannot attach themselves to each other within that family because then you have the inbreeding and and that's why you have so many dispersers because it isn't allowed. One of the most interesting winters we had, at one time we had 17 wolves on the property. And what was amazing for people to see was that during breeding season, the alpha pair or parallel walking, side-by-side, sort of a courtship-type behavior. And none of the other wolves, even though the males were fertile and the females were in heat, none of the other wolves made any attempt to mate because it simply is not allowed within the family. Do they mate for life? Typically, they do. Um, There are those who say they absolutely do. Some say they don't. I use the word typically because as long as, you know, they're both fine and, you know, together, they stay together. It's not like we they have a difference of opinion like humans, so let's just divorce. They don't live their life like that. If an alpha loses a mate, then there's a possibility that it would take a mate from another pack during the next breeding season. That would become the new alpha, and the pack would accept that because the remaining alpha chose it. But in most cases, um, they do stay together for their lives. 
Are there any other specifics, I guess, distinctives that you'd want to be certain to mention before we sort of leave the topic of the individual wolf or the, and, and I do, you know, want in the second half of the show really be able to talk about some of the behaviors that you've seen at Wolf Hollow. Are there other kind of specifics in establishing our foundation on this topic that you'd want to be uh, certain to share before we take a break? Well, I, I guess I think the role of the wolf in the wild, if that's what we're going to continue with, is is obviously something I want to get out there. The value of the wolf in the wild is how we say it here. They're a very valuable part of nature, the ecosystem, a healthy environment. So, if that's but that's critical to um, understanding why we do what we do and why people, you know, need to know what they do. Right. I think it's important to mention it before the break and to mention it after the break. Why don't we take a break? And when we return, we'll focus on the specifics of life at Wolf Hollow. We'll again talk about the importance of wolves in the wild. And uh, just uh, please sit, stay. We'll be right back. Sit, stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Love your pets but wish their medications were a lot less expensive? They are at 1-800-PET-MEDS. You'll not only save on flea and heartworm medications, but on prescriptions for arthritis, incontinence, thyroid, and more. And you get fast service, free shipping, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Plus, our licensed pharmacists ensure accuracy, monitor drug interaction, and more. See why over 5 million people have trusted their pet's health to 1-800-PET-MEDS, America's largest pet pharmacy. Call now or order online. Go to 1-800-PetMeds.com forward slash road R-O-A-D to get 10% off any order and free shipping on orders of $39 or more at PetMeds.com. How would you like your business to reach out and invite in our audience? We have a brand new trademark concept called InfoSeeds. InfoSeeds are short 20-second seeds of information about your place of business, practice, or service. We only have a limited number of slots left. For more information, visit PetLifeRadio.com. Click on Sponsorship Information. There you can listen to a sample of InfoSeed or email us at PetLifeRadio.com. Remember, only a limited number of opportunities are available. Hello! I'm Deborah Wolf, and I'm inviting you to my animal party on Pet Life Radio. My pet experts will be coming to the party to answer your pet questions, and they'll also be sharing their favorite stories and messages with us, but I'll be asking them some tough questions. We'll get their opinions on the hot-button topics like the pit bull ban, pet food, vaccines, religion, politics, and animals, cat decline, and the latest news, whatever's turning the animal world on its head, we'll be talking about at the animal party. This party's got bite. Every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets on Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Pet We're back and chatting with Joni Sofran of Wolf Hollow in Ipswich, Massachusetts. As we noted before we went to a break, we would like to focus in uh, this half of the program on life at Wolf Hollow. But we do also want to talk about the importance of the wolf in the wild. And what really has sparked not only Joni and Paul Sofran, Z Sofran, 
in Ipswich, Massachusetts, but others in uh, other parts of the country who have uh, shared concern about the wolves. There are a number of these kinds of conservation groups that are in existence around the country, and I do want to speak about that a little bit before we close out our time together. But before we get to that, maybe we could, in, in this section, talk a bit about the wolves who live at Wolf Hollow. And even before we do that, would you please just describe the setting and, and why you created the facility as you did? Well, we're, we're sitting on five acres. It is our home. The parking lot used to be a lovely green grass yard. The five acres that are enclosed with chain link encompass several enclosures. The main enclosure is an acre and a half, um, double chain link fencing, 10 feet high with overhang. In the back of that are two more um, enclosures, one acre each. The reason they're separated or there are more than one enclosure is because in the wild, wolves have the option to leave the pack. And if you don't provide a wolf the same option it has in the wild, then within the family, that's going to create some dominance fighting, which could lead to injury or death. So by watching behaviors, we can tell at what point we need to perhaps separate some of them fine with each other for their lives, but others are not. So it has been set up so that we do have um, extra enclosures because you can't wait for the situation to occur to deal with it. So we're ready to deal with those situations when they occur and just move them out and give them their own space. And that takes care of um, the problem within the pack. So it's uh, the entire back of the property is all enclosed with chain link fencing very high with overhangs. Um, and the gift shop, the office that you come into to purchase your tickets used to be my living room. <laughs> Thank goodness it was a fairly large one. Mm-hmm. But that's that's pretty much the setting. We're on a, a main thoroughfare, as you know, Route uh, 133 in Ipswich. So we're very easy to find. But from the front of the property, you'd never, unless you knew, you'd never believe that there are a bunch of wolves living in the back. But we are surrounded by open space, farmland, and conservation land. so. In the back part, there's nothing but open fields and forests, and so it's it's kind of a nice, fairly as natural a setting as we could provide. When Paul built the place, he took all of those things into consideration. There is a pond within the enclosure. There's plenty of um, shade trees, and tried to make it as natural as he possibly could in a captive situation. So nobody's in cages. You don't see wolves in cages, confined in very small areas. They all have plenty of space, plenty of room to run around and do their thing. You mentioned Paul. Just if we could go back to him uh, for just a moment. It's your husband, and uh, he had this vision for Wolf Hollow. Was there an event or a set of circumstances? Maybe it was just the, the plight of the wolf that spoke to him, but what got him going on this? Why, why did this happen? Well, actually, there was a specific event that um, occurred. In 1982, he was hit head-on by a drunk driver and was disabled physically from his livelihood, which was he was a local shell fisherman. We call them lovingly clam diggers. And because he had to have his hip replaced and had some other major injuries from the accident, he was no longer able to do that. While he was recuperating from the accident and the surgeries, he went back to Montserrat College of Art, which he had attended many, many years ago, just taking some painting classes. And he was 
painting, somebody was painting a wolf one day and another classmate said, wolves don't get that big. They don't look that big. Your painting is way off. And Paul kind of chimed in, oh, yes, they do. And then from there, he started his mission on painting wolves. That's all he painted after that. And then one day in 1988, I was working in retail management, and he said, and because of the discussion that took place during this class, it sort of became, he became aware that people didn't really know anything about the wolf because of the conversation was very clear that nobody knew what they were talking about. So I guess that's the event that kind of got the wheels spinning in his head. So being in retail management, I came home from work one day and you said, I decided what I'm going to do with the rest of my life and our property. And if you want to stick around and help me, uh, that would be awesome. If not, I'm going to do it anyway. Now, this is after 25 years of marriage. So here I am. But I guess that would be the specific time that he actually decided I need to do something to make people aware. And because of where we are in the Boston area, we have so many learning institutions, higher learning institutions. He hoped that if we, if he provided a place where people could come and see and learn about the wolf, then New England would be a part of the country to make a difference for the wolf in the wild. We don't go into schools and do slideshows. I mean, it, you know, those work. Um, it gets information out. But for people to come, especially children, and sit and physically see a real wolf, and then learn about them, you know, listen while they're watching what they do. It has a huge impact on people. Can you tell us about the wolves who live at Wolf Hollow? How many do you have? And I understand that you also have one who has some dog in him. And, and perhaps you'd like to speak at this point about some of your concerns about hybrids. You know, the um, population here right now is nine, four adults, five, five pups. Two of our adults are 10 years old and the other two are six years old. So in order to continue to do the work we do here, it was essential that we get puppies to add to the adults to continue continue our work. So that was uh, the main reason for having puppies come in from another place this time, a place in Indiana called Wolf Creek. And the woman, wonderful woman named Kathy, didn't want puppies of her own this year, so she bred for us and, and we got her a litter. Um, so because my son Z wants to continue his dad's mission, um, it was important to to get new blood, younger wolves, puppies into the pack situation because the life expectancy in captivity is is around 12 years and with two that are already 10. You can't do a proper educational program with one guy who's laying in the grass because he's hot and he's old and another female who stands at the fence waiting for a treat. So that was the biggest reason to um, to get the puppies. The hybrid that we have, uh, we had a wolf that we had to separate out from uh, her sister. They started having um, what we call heated discussions. They're a little lesser than what you would call a serious dominance fight, but those heated discussions would eventually lead to dominance fighting. So in the wild, one or the other of those females would have left the pack. They would have dispersed. So we had to choose which one are we going to remove 
from the situation and we chose Osa. Now she is already an adult and she was alone and being very social by nature uh, was not a very happy situation for her. We spent massive amounts of time with her but every time we'd go to leave the enclosure she let us know with a gentle grab on the wrist that she really didn't want us to leave. So a gentleman in the state of Massachusetts where wolf-dog hybrids, uh, wolf-dog crosses have been illegal as pets since 1993, decided he was going to get one anyway. And um, to make a very long, sad situation very short, he got it from a breeder in California who knew what the laws were in Massachusetts but shipped it as a Malamute Husky cross. The neighbors found out this gentleman had what he was calling a wolf for a pet because many hybrid owners do call their pets wolves when in fact they're not wolves, they're hybrids. And he got caught with it at the age of five weeks old and the state basically said, you've got 24 hours to uh, find a home for a licensed home for this uh, animal or we're going to euthanize it. And we've had thousands upon thousands upon thousands of phone calls from hybrid owners over the 20 plus years we've been doing our work here who got hybrids as pets and at a certain age, two and a half, three years old, it no longer works because they're intellectually mature, they're part wild animal and they're very difficult to uh, to manage and 90% of them are put to sleep by the time they're two and a half years old. So. We have said no to thousands of people, but then I thought, oh, so wouldn't it be nice for her to have a puppy to raise, someone to hang out with later as he got older? So we agreed to take this animal, who is very high percentage wolf, with just a little bit of German Shepherd in him. It's worked out wonderfully. They are great companions, but because he is not pure like the others on the property, he has been neutered so that there will be no puppies, uh, hybrid puppies born here. And it's not something that would happen naturally. It's what people do to make money, which is very sad because the animal pays the price, usually by euthanasia, because people think it's cool to have a wolf dog as a pet when most people don't know what they're getting themselves into. I don't say all people. Some people do very well with them. Most do not. Well, could you share maybe a little bit about your own and your staff's interactions with the wolves, how you have to conduct yourselves to be present with them? Well, it starts when they're babies. Now, the volunteers we have now have all been involved in the bonding process with the five new pups. They're born, wolves are born afraid of people. This is an instinctive thing, a genetic thing that's occurred over the last 450 years. The Native American people didn't kill wolves, so the fear that wolves have of people is from that period forward when the settlers came and the attempt to wipe them out. So being that they are born afraid of people, to have a captive situation and be able to properly take care of them, not just interact, mingle, but veterinary care, there have to be bonds of trust. The only way you can create those bonds of trust is you take puppies from the den before their eyes open, which is 10 to 11 days old. They come into the house with us until they're five weeks old. We bottle feed them. We sleep with them. Whenever they're awake, we're with them. So that's the imprinting process. They imprint on us before they actually imprint on the adult wolves. At five weeks old, they go outside into a holding pen where ours are right now. And being eight weeks old, in another four weeks, we will let them join the two adults in the main enclosure. But 
being part of this bonding process is critical to be able to go in and be accepted by them, but you also have to know your place in the pack. You can't be a high rank in a wolf pack if you're not a wolf. So we all act, uh, we all exhibit submissive behavior. For example, we enter the enclosure, um, usually a high rank. Certainly many times the alpha will jump up on your shoulders and it's right in your face. You either blink deliberately several times so that he knows you're not trying to stare him down or you simply look away, then look back. You never pat on top. You scratch underneath the chest, underneath the neck. That's a submissive behavior as opposed to patting on top, which is dominant. And then you use a tone of voice that you use on a little child. It's very soft, very gentle. And by exhibiting those behaviors, you're letting that wolf know that, yes, I know I'm a low rank. I was yesterday. I still am today. I'm not trying to move up. I'm not trying to take your spot. So as long as we exhibit all the proper behaviors, then there's there's a lot of rewards. You know, just being accepted as one of them. They'll roll over for belly scratches. They'll get in your face and give you kisses but the initial entry into the enclosure is where you have to let them know that I know I'm a low rank and I promise I'll behave like one. (laughs) And there are some wolves that some of our volunteers cannot go in with because they weren't a part of the bonding process. Some we have brought in with adults that they didn't help raise and some have worked out very well and some have not worked out at all. And when the wolf senses something about a person they don't like, it's very clear, and we would never make a second attempt of having that person go in with the adults. Right. Now, you open Wolf Hollow to the public. About how many visitors do you now average a year? I'd say between 30 and 40,000 a year now, which is much lower than it used to be primarily because of the budget cuts in education. A lot of the schools who used to come on field trips, which is what we do during the week, no longer have field trips because of budget cuts. I mm-hmm. do have some schools who have been coming well, so, for as long as we've been yeah. here, but that's the big dip we see. The trickle-down um, bad economy is affecting us as well. But since we got the puppies and advertised that puppies were here, and there was a very lovely front-page, full-color story in uh, the Salem News when the puppies got to Wolf Hollow when uh, weekends have been incredibly busy because people want to see the puppies. <laughs> well, how close do visitors uh, get to the wolves? We have a very large deck. That seats approximately 150 people. If you're sitting in the bottom row, the front row of that deck, it's kind of a stadium type thing. If you're sitting in the first row, um, you're separated from the wolves by double chain link fencing 10 feet high, and you're probably 5 feet away, 4 feet away, if you're standing at the fence. It's up close and personal. (laughs) Is there a typical day there? And just one question I did want to ask, too, is why do you ask the folks to howl with the wolves? Why do we? Well, they love it. I mean, it's it's communicating. It's, (laughs) you know, I howled with the wolves. You know, I communicated with this creature using its language. And people really look forward to that when they ask what happens when we come. And I say, you sit through about a one-hour program and learn what the wolf is, what it isn't, what it does, what it doesn't do, and why it's important in the wild. And then you get to howl with them. Oh, we really do? I said, absolutely. It's a must. You can't leave without howling. Do folks know what they're communicating in that howl? That one would be a territorial. 
mm-hmm. because wolves do not live close together in the wild. There are generous buffer zones between territories. So I tell people our wolves don't mind folks coming from sh- for short periods of time. But when you howl, if they think you're howling to mark that as your territory because you've decided to move in here, if they howl back at you, what they're telling that crowd is, we live here, so you need to go someplace else. <laughs> so that would be a definite territorial howl. Okay. Well, what are some of the ways in which we can support wolves and the work of Wolf Hollow? Well, understanding the important role of the wolf in the wild is, is I think, critical. Just they are the top predator. You, When I t- speak to little children, I kind of try and compare it to you have a, a toy that has a battery. The battery dies out. You can push the toy, but it doesn't work the way it should. You take the top predator out of the food chain. Everything below it doesn't work the way it should. I know in the West there's a prairie dog issue, in the East there's a coyote, moose, and deer issue, far too many of them, but the wolf is the regulator of all these things in nature, and because we removed it, this is why we see all these things happening that perhaps we wouldn't have seen. Another important issue is our own health issues. Lyme tick disease here in the East is huge. Now, if we had the wolf out there, if we hadn't wiped it out 100 years ago in the Northeast, maybe we wouldn't be seeing the degree of Lyme tick disease and the severity of it that we see today because we don't have that natural order of things in nature. Well, is there anything else that you want to be certain to mention as we close out our time together? Well, I just want to make sure that people listening, we are, you know, we consider ourselves you know, environmentalists, conservationists, um, wolf advocates. But in no way do we try to put ourselves across as anti-hunting, anti-ranching. People hunt to provide food for their families. I mean, that's you have to respect that. We would never not think that was okay. The ranching industry, there are so many other ways of managing your livestock without killing all the predators out there to do so. So I just want to make very clear that although we are advocating for the wolf, speaking for a creature that cannot speak for itself, that was on the brink of extinction and now is making small strides back, that if people understood there are options or were willing to accept there are options to what they're trying to do, then you know we wouldn't have to be so concerned about the wolf becoming extinct. But that's still a concern, especially now that five Western states are allowed to hunt them. I know over the years, Joni, I have been so grateful for the passion and uh, the commitment that you've had to protecting the wolves, building the wolves back up in the, in the wild. And uh, I want to express my, my personal gratitude for that. And gratitude just for you uh, being with us here today. And uh, also just want to thank all those who are listening. And uh, just uh, hope that what they have heard today will maybe, I don't know, spark in them a, a greater concern as well for the wolves that you cherish so dearly. Well, I I would like to thank all of your listeners as well. And if even one or two people, you know, who never really gave the wolf a thought might go and get a book. 
might learn a little more about them and have a much better understanding of why we try to do what we do here. And having the opportunity through your program to do that, uh, we are indeed very grateful. And and um, I do thank you very much for having us on. I would like to, before we absolutely close out, is remind you that your husband was one of those who came to a howl night and had a very large time howling and embarrassed your daughter to the degree that she wouldn't even walk out of the property with him. So <laughs> I'll never forget that. God, I'm horrified. Yeah, well, a whole lot more accepting of that. She's uh, <laughs> she's not quite so concerned about such things these days. No, I'm but, sure she's uh, not. But that's <laughs> that's one of my fond memories for when you guys are in the East. And I admire you for what you're doing. I admire you for being on the road and this adventure you're both on and sharing it with the world, what you're seeing. I follow you on Facebook, and it's like I'm traveling with you. I'm seeing things and learning things through your travels that I wouldn't have had the opportunity to know and through your show maybe somebody else will you know have an opportunity maybe go say gee maybe i'll go read some books about wolves and find out what this woman is talking about make a visit also to uh, wolf hollow and in, in ipswich massachusetts and uh, if you have any any of the folks listening today have any questions or comments about today's show i would just invite you to email me at the address that you'll find in my on the road blog on pet life radio And as always, I hope you'll join us next time as we head out on the road with Mac and Molly. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.